Good morning and welcome. Merry Christmas Eve to you guys. Um, just a few things as we get started this morning. Um, we're going to just kind of go through all sorts of different elements of worship this morning. And so um, we just want to make sure that you know everything is open with the offering in the front and the back, just all throughout um, as part of our worship this morning. And, um, and so just as we begin, will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that your word says that unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. And we just worship you this morning. We praise you, God, for your love and for you being born, Jesus. We celebrate you this morning. We love you, God. Amen and amen. i 
Yes, Jesus, we joy in you, God. We take joy because of what you have done, because of your great love for us, Jesus.
Most, um, <clears throat> most kings that we're familiar with all through history don't get their position or maintain their position without a lot of force and with a lot of power. And that's the unique thing about the king that we're singing about. Um, you know, on Christmas Eve, it should be still mind-boggling that the God who created everything would send himself in the in the place of his son to the world that he created there's a song that we sing um uh 10,000 reasons or whatever yeah I don't know the song about 10,000 it has a line and it says on a hill you created the light of the world abandoned the darkness to die so the God who created hay came and put himself in hay the God who created the dirt came and put himself in the dirt and that's that's an empathy that's just hard to understand, um, but beautiful and even I would say odd that the King of the world would put himself here as a mortal person. Um, so God, today we don't know really how to respond to that other than to say thank you. Uh, I don't know. A, different response um what do we say to a gift that is priceless that we didn't earn that we didn't deserve that we still are trampling on today um in our sin and in our in our lack of trust for you when we choose other ways to try to make ourselves happy when we choose other emotions other than love we still like the prodigal son continue to kind of travel down the wrong path sometimes and I just thank you that you designed 
a plan of rescue and that you were willing to put yourself into the mess that we we created with our decisions um, and yet you still said okay I'll take that hand of cards that you have trashed and I will come and I will make it new and I will redeem it and I will make all things right and I will do that with my sacrifice And so thank you today for Jesus and then thank you for the spirit Holy Spirit that you that you come and that you are our helper, that you are our guide, that you come and walk on this earth, continue to be on this earth since Jesus ascended and we are here by ourselves. We're not by ourselves. So we thank you, Spirit, that you are here, that when we sing this song today, the King is here. The Holy Spirit is here. Once again, what do we say except thank you? Thank you that you continue to guide us, that you continue to lead us, that when we are down, that you are here to lift us up, or at least be with us while we weep, that when we're sick, you are here to mend our bodies, whether that be supernatural, immediate, amazing healing, or whether that be the way that you designed our bodies to heal, which is still your gift. (laughs) Natural healing is your gift, not anything, once again, that we maneuver or manipulate or mess with. It's just goodness that you bless us with. So God, continue because you're good to bless us with your presence in this service. Would you give Steve the words that you want us to hear today as he ministers to us and preaches to us and teaches us? And would you open our hearts to receive what it is that you're trying to say? Would you Give us the grace to not be distracted by the choice of how long the ham is supposed to be in the oven or the turkey or the whatever, salmon, I don't know. Um, But would you just help us to take our attention and put it solely on you today because you deserve it. You're worthy. You are glorious. You are beautiful. You are good. You are everything that we could need today. Praise you. Praise you. Praise you. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all, you can be seated. Um, so we, well, uh, my phone's over here. It has my notes on it. I know one, I know both these things, I think. So we are not having a Wednesday night service. So if you show up here, you will need to bring a lawn chair and worship under the portico because the doors will be locked. Um, so no Wednesday night service, um, but bonus round uh, because we don't have a Wednesday night service we will have a New Year's Eve gathering here at the church starting at 7.30 so if you're one of those crazy people who like to stay up until midnight on New Year's Eve you're welcome to do that I am not one of those crazy people I will be asleep and I will honor you and your decision you're welcome to make all the bad sleep decisions you want to, but it will be fun, so I will lose out. And you could argue that point, and I would concede it. I will be the boring guy asleep in my bed, hopefully 9.30 or something like that. But uh, 7.30, lots of games, food, uh, Pulaski's, uh, and anyone else who is coming to celebrate the New Year's Eve. So we're going to take a five-minute break uh, for you guys to get some coffee, we're going to do Advent, and we're going to hear from Steve. So, break. Go. 
So before I begin, we're going to light the last candle of Advent, and we have the Newcombs lighting that for us this morning. So y'all take it away. From the disciple John in his first letter, we have these words. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. 1 John 4, 9 through 11. So may the light of this candle shine forth as a symbol of the love you, God, have shown us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Fill our hearts with your love and help us to love one another as you have loved us. Amen. I personally don't think we have enough candle lighting these days. We, we've lost a lot of the mystery in the practices that we have. Um, and that's not just in church. That's in all kinds of things that we do. Uh, we've gotten so sophisticated with all our video presentation and all that kind of stuff that uh, we leave out some of the old school stuff like lighting candles. Um, I think that there's a lot of reasons for that, but I'm glad to go back to this tradition. Um, so we've, the first three candles that we've lit were hope, peace, and joy. And we did those every three weeks uh, since Thanksgiving and during this uh, Christmas season. So the last candle, as you might have deduced, is the uh, love candle. Um, and as I, was, as I was thinking about love, a lot, of, a lot of what I thought with peace came to mind. At the beginning of the sermon about peace, uh, I talked about the different ways that as a culture we viewed peace through the years. And was it Josh that came up with peace sign? Um, that all the ways that, especially that kind of hippie, the 60s thing when we... Uh, um, peace had a different kind of idea to it. Uh, And we talked about that a few weeks ago. But just like peace, love uh, conjures up a lot of different notions for all of us, Uh, even the the hippie movement, which most of y'all are too young for that. But uh, I was also too young for it. But I was around when when it happened. Um, uh, A lot of... uh, a lot of people thought I was a hippie when, in the 70s when I moved to the small town that I moved to from uh, when we lived in the Fort Worth, Dallas area. But uh, I never was really a hippie. I'll just lay that down right now. Um, so when we talk about love, you may have a lot of different ideas about it. I want to focus on the love that Jesus communicated to us. Um, because Jesus' interpretation of love was also 
very different from any culture that had ever existed before. Ever. Because the idea of love had been around a long time. But who would you love? You'd love people who loved you. And you'd love people who are nice to you. And a lot of us still think that way today. But Jesus flipped the script on that whole thing. Absolutely, unequivocally flipped the script on it. Um, in his sermon, his fam- most famous sermon, uh, uh, in the Sermon of the Mount, and he, in the Sermon on the Mount, that's in Matthew chapter 5, so it's near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and even though the chronology of all the events are kind of different in each of the Gospels, I really do believe that it was a, it was a sermon where he laid down the foundation of all of his ministry and what his teaching was going to be and how it differed from teachings that had been before. Go look at it. It's three chapters of a lot of script flipping. Say that ten times fast. Um, from the New Living Translation, Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 43, it says, You have heard that the law says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now that's, throughout history, how most people looked at love. You love your friends and you hate your enemies, right? But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In the King James, he says, pray for those who spitefully use you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That you may be children of God. That that was the way that love was going to work in this new kingdom that Jesus talked about. Now, we've lived in a fairly Christian society for most of 2,000 years. And certainly in America for these last two, 250 years. And I'd, I'd ask you, has it changed that much from Jesus' day? Or are we still loving our friends and hating our enemies? God's notion of love is very different from ours, even still, as not as different, hopefully, as it was in those days. Hopefully, we're a little bit more civilized, but the notion of love that God communicates in the New Testament, in the Gospels, is very different still from what we experience today. I'd lead you to John chapter 3 when Jesus met with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a leader in the Sanhedrin, which was the religious body that governed more than just religion. It also governed most of Hebrew society. The Sanhedrin was like Congress... Uh, and the Vatican kind of all wrapped together in one because they administered all things religious and civil in Jewish society. 
And I, I'd invite you to go and watch the Chosen episode where Jesus talks with Nicodemus because he's pretty confused when Jesus talks about being born again. I mean, he, he says, do I have to get back in there <laughs> to be born again? Because that's a problem. My mom's dead. Um, so, which conjures up the, you know, these very vivid images for us. But Jesus was teaching something completely, completely new. And we're used to, I mean, most of us have grown up here, here and being born again. And so we know that it's not what Nicodemus thought it was. Um, in John chapter 3, during that whole discussion that Jesus has with Nicodemus, Jesus shares with him what is the most, for most people, the most familiar verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Who's saying this? Jesus is saying this. He's speaking out what's going to be. So when he says he gave his only son, he's talking about himself, knowing what's to come. So giving your son is what, what Jesus experienced so far in that was and I'm sorry, but I, I just have to share a little bit of the context. When we sing these songs, Joy to the World, we have joy at Christmas time because of gifts and family and get-togethers and stuff like that. But the joy that, that the people of Israel experienced during the birth of Jesus and, and that ministry was after 750 years of absolute silence from God. And I've talked about that every time. But I want us to get a hold of that. God had been silent for 770 years. And they still, year after year, celebrated the Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles and, and all those things. They still went through the motions of a people that had heard from God and, and experienced God dealing with them directly. I mean, the Passover celebrated the 40 years in the wilderness when they had no, they had no other option but to trust God for everything, for their daily bread. And they went from... God dealing with them directly, intimately, not back to Adam and Eve, walking with God in the cool of the day intimacy, but they, they had God dealing with them regularly. And then at the end of King Josiah's reign, and, and during some of the, um, the captivity when they were living in Babylon and Syria, and there were prophets that heard from God. But then there's a period of 750 years where there's just nothing. That's the world that Jesus came into. So when Jesus talked about for God so loved the world. And the joy that had come on that on the night of his birth. It's a whole new thing after these years of silence. 
But for Jesus himself, Hebrew, the book of Hebrews that Paul wrote talks about how Jesus lowered himself because it's the same Jesus that was from the beginning, that was there with God, that, that created all of that we have in our world even today, created everything that is and ever was and ever will be. Jesus was there. And Hebrews says that he made himself a little lower than the angels. Imagine what it means to, to Jesus to grow up and have his diaper changed and, and cry to be fed, uh, the same as all babies. And to go through being a boy and uh, having bullies in the schoolyard, all those kind of things. Jesus went through all, the, all of that. So when he's speaking to Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, I want you to think about that as I read these words. For God loved the world so much He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That sounds pretty good. That's really good stuff right there. But Nicodemus is struggling with his faith and, and all that's going on with Pharisees and, and all the rules. And because I believe Nicodemus was going through the same thing that I went through in my late 20s when I realized there's something more than this. That's where Nicodemus was. I just know there's more than this and I can almost taste it. I can, God is showing me something that's totally different. And I don't understand how I can reconcile this feeling that I have about that there's so much more in who God is. Reconcile that with all these rules and these, these dang Pharisees that just, they just make me tired. Then Jesus says, the very next verse, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. I just can imagine the spark that went off in Nicodemus at that when he goes, not condemn the world? Boy, that sounds good. Because all I see right now is condemnation. That the job of, of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and all the traditions that we have, that there's nothing but condemnation. We look for reasons to condemn people. Unfortunately, a lot of the church is still like that. But what must have, had, have felt like to hear about the love that Jesus was communicating about? Reconcile that with this, this longing and searching that Nicodemus is experiencing in his life. And then to find out that the whole point is it is so that there isn't condemnation anymore. I'd invite you to look at Romans 8, verse 1, 2. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you'll have to look at that yourself.
when Jesus, the last year of his ministry, the scribes and the Pharisees chased him around all the time looking for evidence to condemn him with that ultimately led to crucifixion. They were always asking him questions. And they asked him a question one day, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's in all four Gospels. And in chapter 12 of the book of Mark, starting with verse 32, that scribe that had asked the same question says to Jesus, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When that was the focus of most Pharisees was offering sacrifices, that's why Jesus said to him several times, he says, if you only knew what it meant, and then another place he said, go find out what it means, which was a funny kind of backwards insult to them because they thought they knew all of Scripture and what all of it meant. But Jesus says to him, go find out what it means when God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Or mercy more than sacrifice. So it was a big deal for the scribe to say that's those two commandments are more than all of the offerings and sacrifices. Verse 34, Jesus says to him, you are not far from the kingdom. That scribe probably didn't understand what Jesus meant by that. Except Jesus has been teaching about what the kingdom of God is. What the kingdom of heaven is. He's been talking about it. And I am here to tell you today that you want it. You want the kingdom. Because the, the, the way the kingdom operates in our world today, the world that we live in, day in, day out, the way the kingdom operates is miracles. It is, it is not life as usual. It's not boring. It's not mundane. It's not get up, go to work, come home, sleep, repeat. You are not far from the kingdom. Because what the scribe talked about was all the priorities. God is a priority. Everything follows after that. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and all of the things that you talk about wanting, they'll be added to you. So each Sunday we've lit these candles. And we say, may the light of this candle shine. That's me. May the light of this candle shine forth as a symbol of, and the, the theme of that Sunday.
And the light of these candles is only symbolic. There's nothing magical that happens in these candles any more than there's magic in the waters of baptism, any more than there's magic in the elements of communion. They're symbolic. But they're also symbolic of His light in us. And I want to call attention to that this morning. So, the Sermon on the Mount, which I started with, where Jesus establishes the foundation of all His teaching, He talks about us being salt and light. I'm going to focus on light and not much on salt, but those two things impact greatly the environment that they're in. A little bit in chocolate chip cookies is really good. But if you mix up the salt and the sugar and chocolate chip cookies, how do they taste? Yeah, not so good. Don't ask me how I know that. Those two elements impact the environment to which they're introduced in a, in a huge way. And I want you to think about light. Have you ever been in a situation where when you got some light, it was comforting? When they're teaching survival, one of the things they teach is fire making, which I love. Don't ask me more about that. But um, when they talk about building a fire, it's not just for warmth. It's not just so you can boil water or to purify it or... Part of building a fire is for the comfort that it brings, for the morale booster that it is, because even a little bit of light. I mean, a campfire, have you ever tried to read by a campfire or something? I have. It's, it's not much fun. Um, a campfire is not a lot of light, and it's not, well, unless, I mean, some of you have probably built some big bonfires before, but it's still not the greatest light, but it brings so much comfort. The impact of light in real darkness is amazing. Brent and I were in Colorado a few weeks ago, and I got up in the middle of the night. That's another story, but um, just the light from the stars was so amazing up there at almost 12,000 feet uh, where you don't have all the just a little bit of light from those stars that we look at and they don't impact us where we're at here at all because we've got light all around us. But when you're in true darkness, even those little pinpoints of light make a big difference. I've shared a few times that I was at a Billy Graham crusade one time and they turned out all the lights and he lit a match and lit this tiny little candle. And it filled up Texas Stadium, which is where the Cowboys used to play. It filled up that whole stadium with light. There wasn't any place in that, in that stadium that you couldn't see that light. Even from 100 yards away, that little tiny light from that match and then a little tiny candle like a birthday. All the darkness that was contained in that stadium was impacted by that tiny little bit of light. So when Jesus is talking about salt and light, 
I want you to think about that. In Matthew chapter 5 again, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it doesn't have any flavor anymore? Can you make it salty again? No, it's just thrown out and trampled underfoot and worthless. And they actually used it to, to pave the sidewalks, which they didn't have concrete sidewalks, but it would keep the grass from growing and, and that's what... And salt impacts everything that it touches. It purifies. There's so many things that salt does. But without its saltiness, it doesn't, it's no good anymore. He talks about light in kind of the same way. He says, you are the light of the world. And I say that to you this morning. That if you're a child of God, you are the light of the world. Because Jesus in you shines like these candles do. And how much darkness, I mean, can there be enough darkness that it, that the light has no effect anymore? Even a black hole, the reason we know black holes exist is because how it impacts light. But the light is still light. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Not praise you. But praise God. If you go to the very beginning of this book, it says, In the beginning, God said, Let there be light. In the beginning of John's gospel. And I want you to just imagine. Uh, we're used to this, this book, but imagine when it was first written. John says, what do I say about Jesus? In one of his books, he says, if, you, if I wrote down everything, the world couldn't contain everything that Jesus did. But he's, so he's, he communicates the essence of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and that's Jesus, the Logos. In the beginning, the Word already existed. It just was. In the beginning, Jesus already was. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. The Word, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created and His life brought Light into the darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. No matter how dark the dark is, it can't extinguish the light. And I, um, and I don't mean to be a doomsayer, but I believe that we're coming into a, 
I believe that we're coming into dark times and we need the light more than ever. What light? You. Jesus in us. That's something that in, when, when Jesus comes into the picture, there was no Holy Spirit, there wasn't God in us, God with us, we have a whole different life from what they had because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We have a light in us that they couldn't ever even understand before because of Jesus. The light that cannot be overcome. So the last candle is the Jesus candle. And there's different traditions on when you light this, but we're lighting it today. And may this candle remind us of the presence of the true light, Jesus, in us and through us to the whole world. Because we are and should be and can be light in the darkness. Would you guys stand with me? So as we get ready to close out, um, I think Brent's going to run and grab. We've got some lights to pass out. Just like Pastor Steve was just saying in the meaning of what we've been lighting with the candles, each represents something And most importantly, that we are carrying the light of the world, Jesus, in us.
important prayers I ever pray is for people to have peace and so I'm going to pray that for us right now that as we go from this place we are moving into the new year that peace will reign over your household in every way in how your family operates relationally in your health in your finances that peace rule over everything. Let me... Appreciate that, Rick. Appreciate that. We always talk about Jesus and the reason for the season, but I really do hope that we establish like even a new tradition in in our families to recognize Jesus big time. That's right. That's right. Amen. Somebody should make a bumper sticker if there's not one. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each person who's hearing my voice right now and what they mean to this body of believers. That there's encouragement for each other to be what you've called us to be, to be Jesus. To be Jesus with skin on in the world all around us. To be that light that no matter how dark things get, the light that we have in us cannot be extinguished cannot be overcome. So as we leave this place right now, may we let our light shine. May we be mindful of the season. May we go into this this new year with a renewed sense of who we are in Jesus. And as a result of that, we bring glory to you, O God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.